where, you know, it kind of sets the stage for what's going on. There's a middle of the movie where, you know, everything happens and, and a lot of the problems are solved and the problems are faced. And then there's an end where everything kind of gets all tied up and do, of course, it's a, it's a movie, so it's tied up into a pretty bow. You know, everything works out good most of the time in, in the movies that we watch and, and tied up and then the credits run. And it's the same way with us. Everything in our life, we like a story. You know, we like that beginning, middle, and end. That's how we think. So that's the way, this morning, I'm going to break it down for you. Um, on your engagement sheets, um, you'll notice you don't have any notes. You don't have any areas for notes. Um, I wasn't able to, to get something together and put it in in time. So uh, if you're a note-taking per, note person, um, you can kind of follow along and, and write things down as we go. I encourage you to do that. Um, but that's, that's kind of the categorization, beginning, middle, and end. So... Um, Let's see. I'm going to go ahead and get started. We'll start at the beginning, which is a good place to get started. Right? Why not? Um, just a little background. I've been, uh, I've been reading this book. Um, it's by kind of a, a Christian giant, R.C. Sproul, who um, hopefully many of you have heard of. It's my first uh, kind of dive into, into R.C. Sproul. Anyway, um, I've been reading, and there was uh, just a couple, a couple little pages that struck me and stuck with me more than anything else in the whole book. And that's, that's where... Um, this idea came from. So I encourage you, if you, um, if you like reading about it, it's called Pleasing God, and just kind of goes through all these different aspects of how we please God, you know, as Christians. And so that's a, a little bit about uh, why this has been sticking with me. So if you would, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to get started this morning. All right, Philippians chapter 2. Um, in the beginning, if you know the Lord, if you're a Christian, you have a beginning. A lot of times people write it in the front of their Bibles. They say, I was saved on this date. Um, a lot of people have that and can, can bring that back and say, this is the day where I met the Lord. This is the day where he worked in my heart and I turned my life over to him. Um, I hope you here this morning have a beginning. Um, if you don't, um, that's okay. Hopefully you're, you're getting there. Hopefully the, the Lord's you know, working through the circumstances in your life, working through um, the people in your life to draw you to him. And we, and we pray that at Family Bible Church that people would be able to, 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 to find that beginning with the Lord, that relationship. And so if you do have one, um, you probably remember most of the time you don't become a Christian and say, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian now. You know, things are going to be different in my life. Usually it's, oh man, I found the Lord. You know, I'm a Christian and, and my life is going to change. I'm going to turn it around. He got a hold of me and the things that I used to do and the way that I used to live doesn't even make sense to me anymore. And there's excitement, you know, there's, there's just this, this uh, anticipation of what's to come. Am I right? I mean, you've seen it before. Hopefully, you've seen it in yourself. And if not, you definitely have seen it in people around you. We've got it here. We've got it here at Family Bible Church. There's some people who have, you know, in the past few years, given their hearts to the Lord and, 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 and they're walking with him now and they're so excited and it's so neat to see. And so that's where we start with, the, with this story, this excitement, this anticipation. Um, a lot of times what happens is at the beginning, things start to change. You have this excitement. You have this anticipation and a lot of times we think, well, that's all there is to it. Um, I, I kind of think of it as the safety net Christian method where we're saved and we say, you know what? I realize that there's a hell and I realize that through salvation I can be in heaven and I can be in God's presence, all right? And then, and then there's like the safety net um, idea of, okay, I'm saved. I've got my safety net. You stick it in your back pocket. I think Bill calls it your, your salvation card. You put it in your back pocket and you continue on living knowing that you've got the safety net. Well, unfortunately, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the way that the Bible teaches our salvation should look like. And um, so if you would, let's look at Philippians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to read a couple verses here and kind of see what, uh, what Philippians tells us about what we're supposed to do with the salvation from the beginning moving forward. It says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, 
not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. All right, what I want to focus in on there is that, is that word uh, or that phrase, work out your salvation. Um, uh, that's something that, that I've thought about for years. How do we work out our salvation? You know, work out, think about work out. Think about being in the gym and lifting weights. You know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna build muscle. You're not gonna have lean, you know, body mass or anything like that unless you work out. And it's the same way, you know, Paul's saying here, the salvation that we receive has to be worked out. Does that mean that it's a one-time event that we can write in our Bibles and then we're done? I don't think so. I think it's something that needs to be worked out. Um, salvation is, is a process, not just an event. And I'm not here saying that, that uh, you know, the, the date you were saved doesn't mean anything because you have to be saved every day. No, absolutely not. There's, there's a time where we can come to the Lord where, where our eyes are opened and our hearts are softened and we can receive the Lord. And, and it's a beautiful thing. But what I want to encourage you guys is that it's, that's not the end of it. It's not a, a beginning and an end in itself. It's the beginning of a new life, and that life needs to be worked out. Um, the, uh, the thing I want to, uh, the, I guess the visual I want to give you guys this morning is um, an easy chair. I don't think the Bible teaches that there is an easy chair sanctification process. Sanctification, big Christian word, we probably don't know what it means. You might... Um, I'm always a little fuzzy on the big Christian words. Um, so, uh, sanctification is the process by which we are made holy or Christ-like. Okay, it's a process, it's a journey to where um, we kind of change from who we are, these the selfish beings, these the sinful beings born in sin and are changed into the likeness of Christ. Um, I know Rick talked last week about having the mind of Christ. Uh, when you're saved, the moment you're saved, do you have the mind of Christ? I wasn't here last week, so I don't know. I have to listen to it online. But, but I know even now, being saved for you know, many years, um, I, don't fully have the, I don't fully, I guess, embrace the mind of Christ. My mind makes me so mad because I think thoughts that Christ doesn't think. I, uh, I have selfish thoughts that Christ wouldn't have. I, I have all these sinful things, and it's something that is a, is a process. But I fully believe that Scripture doesn't teach that that's going to happen automatically. Or we get into our spiritual easy chair and kick back the legs and sit back and say, make me holy. Is it possible? I don't know. It might be possible. Maybe God will just take you and change you. But I know in my life it takes work. When I find myself not working out my salvation, when I find myself you know, sitting in that easy chair, I feel myself kind of moving backwards and getting more distant from the Lord in my relationships, not growing at those points. But whenever I, I make the decision and I say, you know what, I'm going to work it out. I'm going, to, I'm going to get into the Word and just focus on the Word. I'm going to change the way that I talk to, uh, talk to my wife or change the way that I deal with my son. Those are the kind of things, when I decide I'm going to work on that, that's when I start feeling that I'm moving that direction. And I believe that's a time where I really start pleasing the Lord with my actions. Um, what I want to do now is I want to talk about how we can work out our salvation. I've got, um, I've got three different ways, um, and, and this is not an all-inclusive list by any means. Um, this is just three ways that I think um, kind of starts the process of how we work out our salvation. Number one, remember what we are saved from. If you're a Christian and you know what your life was like before, I get to hear those stories a lot about um, you know, the, the drastic changes that people are able to make in their life. 
um, you know, from you know, whatever they were in, whether it was, you know, drugs or alcohol or, um, you know, these, these lifestyles that aren't pleasing to the Lord, and they turn it around and change their life inside and out through Christ, it's a beautiful thing. And I think that sometimes we might forget what we're saved from. If we don't think about what we were saved from, it's easy for us to continue looking and living the way that we were before. Let's look at what we are saved from because if, if somebody is asking you questions and you try to say, well, well, this is, you know, I'm a Christian and, and, I'm, and I'm saved and this is why, and you're not able to really put into words what the purpose of your salvation was, you might kind of fall, fall empty there. I always tell everybody it's so important to be able to, you know, what does the Bible say? That you're able to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. And this goes along with that. Can you give a defense um, for what lies in you? Do you know what you were saved from? Flip with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 5. Does anybody know what Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says? That's a pretty big one. Everybody, everybody knows Romans 5, 8, right? What is it? But God, you want to say it with me? But God demonstrates his love to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Okay, verse 9 we kind of forget about sometimes because verse 8 is the one that we memorize. So let's, let's read Romans 5, 9. It says this. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, him being Jesus Christ? This passage of scripture is a really cool passage. That's why we know verse eight, because it's a really powerful passage um, about you know, life in Christ, about this, this new creation. It's a beautiful thing. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? What were we saved from? We were saved from God's wrath. You know, it doesn't sound real pleasant, right? God's wrath, it's not something we talk about a lot. It's not a, you know, lovey-dovey, goosebumpy feeling type of message. Um, it's something a lot of times that people shy away from, that aspect of God's wrath. We think, well, God is love, right? We just studied 1 John a little while ago. We read that verse. We talked about it. God is love. We truly believe that. But you know what? God has a little bit of wrath in him too, why? Because he's, he's holy. He's blameless. You know, I'm not holy. I'm not blameless. Before Christ, I was a mess, just like all of you. And he can't, he can't have that in his presence. What is, what is the penalty for sin? Death, absolutely. For the wages of sin is death. We have to remember that. We have to remember that, that you know, this journey that we're on with Christ, the salvation that we have, it's not just like a, we're, we're not here because it's a social club. You know, we don't believe that we're Christians and, and claim to be Christians because it's the end thing or because, you know, that's the group of friends that we hang out with. We have to understand that we were saved for a reason. We are saved from sin. Without Christ, there is no hope. And that's what we believe. So as we go through this journey, as we, as we you know, in the beginning have this faith, we need to remember that we were saved from God's wrath through Jesus Christ. If we can keep that in our minds, if we can focus on that and continue to remember that and work out that salvation through that mindset, I think it'd make a huge, a huge difference for us. Something, something that I need to challenge myself with as well. All right, let's go on to number two, the second way that we can work out our salvation. We can remember who we were saved by. I don't think it's the same thing as, as uh, what we were saved from. Remember who we are saved by. 
Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah 53, if you don't look at that and automatically go, oh, cool chapter, I encourage you, write it down, go home and read it. Isaiah 53 is an amazing chapter about the coming of Christ. You know, who he's going to be. You know, what he's going to do, the purpose for his life, uh, his, his human life here on earth. Um, Isaiah 53, 5 says, uh, uh, do you guys know the song? It's on the radio. I love it when songs do scripture because then you don't even have to look in the Bible. Remember, it was, he, was, he, was, uh, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins, right? The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Good stuff. Good stuff. Usually I can sing it, but you got the best of me. That's pretty cool. We got to remember who we were saved by. And we have to remember what happened to him. Um, I heard a really, um, a really vivid illustration, and it was, oh man, it was years ago, um, by uh, um, another Christian giant, uh, John Piper, who you probably have heard of. Um, if not, check him out. He's, he's got some good stuff to say. Um, but John Piper was talking about, um, there was something that happened, and there was a, an area of his yard where he associated it with, with a, a pretty vivid picture of sin. And... Um, something that, that, that he saw in his yard at one point. And he said for, for a long time he would be mowing his grass and every time he got to this place in the yard he would think about it. And it was kind of like a trigger for, um, a trigger for um, sinful thoughts in his head. And every time he mowed past that and it just drove him nuts. You know, he's like, oh man, how do I, how do I quit this? You know, his mind would just kind of get away from him. And uh, he said it wasn't until he connected um, the sin that was going on in his life with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that was the point where he was able to kind of break free of that. And I thought that was a pretty good illustration of how we can work out our salvation by remembering who we were saved by. You know, if we remember who Jesus was and remember what he did on the cross, we're not gonna be as apt to, to jump into sin, are we? What a crazy thing, to, those sins that you struggle with, the sins that I struggle with, to be able to connect those automatically in our head and, and build that bridge to where one triggers the other. As soon as that sinful thought comes up, bam, you see Christ on the cross. That's a pretty powerful thing. And I really think that that's a way that we can work out our salvation, a way that we can start to, um, you know, consciously make an effort to move towards holiness, to move, to move toward that Christ-likeness that Rick talked about, to think about who died on the cross for our sins. Let's look at number three. The third way I think we can work out our salvation is to remember what we were saved for. Um, Carrie, would you mind grabbing my water and bringing it up here? I forgot it. And I need it. Thank you. Um, remember what we were saved for. We say this um, all the time, and it probably gets old that people thank you, so appreciate it. Um, remember the verse that says, uh, without vision, people perish. And we say that a lot because, uh, because it's so important, and, and I know it in, in my own life. I see it. If I don't have vision, if I don't have a focus on where I'm going and what I'm doing, it's not going to get done. And if it does get done, it's going to get done kind of haphazardly. We're going to look at um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, if you want to kind of start turning that way. Um, I shared this story in youth group a little while ago, and I'll, I'll share it again because, um, you know, those things that, that stick with you for many years, I kind of talk like I'm old. Probably people that are older than me are like, he doesn't have many years yet. Um, for me, it was many years ago. It was back when I was in youth group. There was a, um, a young man who was much older than um, the youth group age kids, you know, us that were in middle school and high school. He was much older. Um, 
He was probably mid-20s, but he kind of had the mind of, of us. And so he came in, he got out of prison, and he came into our church. We had a prison ministry, and he hooked up with our youth group. So here we are, you know, I was in middle school, my brother and his friends were in high school, and we're hanging out with this 25-year-old doing youth group stuff. You know, it was, it was great. Um, I don't know that he knew the Lord at that point, but he was open to the idea and open to discussing it. And I remember we used to have um, Ask the Pastor um, Wednesday nights for our youth group. And basically what that meant was pastor was too busy preparing a sermon, a Sunday night sermon, and doing everything else for the church throughout the week that he didn't have time to work on something for Wednesday night. For, uh, he, would do, he would do the Bible study and do a lesson over there, and then he was responsible for youth group, which was crazy looking back. I can't even imagine how he did it that many years. But anyway, if he didn't have time, he'd say, let's ask the pastor night. And all we did was sit down and say, hey, here's a question that I've got. He'd open up the word and he'd answer it for us. And I remember this guy's name was Robert, real big guy. And I remember he sat back in his chair like this and he said, I got a question for you. Pastor said, all right, go ahead. And he said, what's the meaning of life? And then he looked around, he was so proud of himself, you know, he stumped the pastor, you know, he was trying so hard. And, uh, and pastor said, okay, good question. Opened up God's word and answered his question. You know, it's one of those things that we don't, we don't think, you know, oh, what's the meaning of life? We're all searching to try to figure out what we're here for. And it was cool because pastor was able to answer that through God's word. And um, so this verse is, is something that uh, I think is really important. So let's read Ephesians 2 uh, verses uh, We'll do verses um, six through 10. It says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Are you ready? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. All right, so as Christians, as a new creation, this passage is talking about when, when we are born again through Jesus Christ, this new creation that's in us. This is what it's talking about, and it says right there, created in Christ Jesus to what? Do good works. Is good works a bad word? I think uh, growing up, I thought good works was a bad word. You don't want good works. Because what's the Bible say? Good works are like filthy rags, right? Is this uh, an opportunity to tear apart the Bible and say that it, uh, it's not congruent and that it, uh, you know, it, it doesn't line up with itself? No, you've got to look at context. But what it's talking about here is we were saved. We were, this new creation was created not to sit in an easy chair, kick back, and go through life with that safety net says we are created for good works. What are good works? You know, we could probably go on and on all day as to what good works look like in the life of a Christian. If you think that good works aren't important, I guess you better read the book of James. Um, James is a, is a difficult book as well because James just talks about what, how important good works are. And it hits on it over and over and over again about how, you know, without works, faith is dead. You have to have good works to back up what you claim is in your heart. So I encourage you guys this morning, as, as, you, as you go, as you um, work out your salvation, which I hope that you're doing now, and I hope if you aren't, that it's something you start to think about. I encourage you to, to do these things, to remember as you're going about your day, as you're, as you're going about life as it is, remember what you're saved from. Remember who you were saved by and remember what we are saved from for. You guys have a purpose. We as Christians have a purpose and a plan. And we'll talk about that uh, in, in just a few minutes when we get to the end. 
uh, we'll go ahead and uh, jump into the middle. The middle. There's some nice farm rows. Um, if you've never had the pleasure of um, riding in a tractor and plowing or planting or anything like that, um, I apologize because it's pretty stinking cool. Um, I grew up on a farm. We didn't farm it. We rented the farmhouse there, but I was able to to really get involved and really be a part of the farm and feeding animals and, you know, riding on the tractors and um, never got to drive one because my mom panics a little bit. She's a little um, over the top sometimes with her um, uh, fear of those kind of things. But um, so I definitely, uh, definitely remember doing that. And that's the uh, visualization that I want you guys to have for the middle. Um, the middle of this story, the middle of this journey as a Christian um, is those nice straight rows there. Um, we're going to read Luke chapter 9 if you would turn there with me. Hopefully a verse that you've heard before. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 62. It's the last, uh, the last verse in that chapter. And uh, at this point, Christ is in, his, uh, in his, his ministry, and he's going, you know, he's moving around, and he's calling disciples, and he's put his disciples together and sent them out, and uh, he's calling people to join him. He's calling people to, to experience that change that we're talking about. And, and his call wasn't... Uh, wasn't like the call we have today necessarily, where we say, hey, come to Jesus, you know, come give your life over to Jesus, and you kind of continue doing what you're doing um, and figure out how this, this new Christian experience kind of plays into that. Um, Christ was saying, let's go. He's walking down the road, and he says, follow me, and a lot of these guys were like, okay, I'm going to follow you, and they drop everything. We talk about the disciples dropping their nets, dropping their livelihoods, dropping everything and going with him. And in this chapter, he's calling people, and he's getting responses that we really haven't heard yet. The disciples were so willing to go, but all of a sudden, these people are like, yeah, I get it, I get it. Let me go take care of business, and I'll come back. You know, let me go, let me go see what's going on here, make sure things are lined up and in order, and go. And this is, this is his response here in the end of Luke chapter uh, 9. He says this, 62, it says, Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. All right, no one who, of course, back then plowing, you know, you're all strapped in with the, I don't know what they use, some kind of cow, I guess. And um, so, you know, you're strapped in and you're, and you're plowing. I don't think it was a camel, right? They don't use camels. I know they had a lot of camels there, but I've never seen a, a camel hooked up to a plow. So I guess they had cows too. Um, if you know more, talk to me afterwards and fill me in. But anyway, we're going to go with the cow. So they're plowing and um, they're getting the field ready. And, and what he's saying there is, you know, if you're on there and you take your hand off and you look back, that you're not fit for the kingdom of God, for service in the kingdom of God. To me, this is one of those uh, passages, one of those verses that, that I kind of look at and, and think that's a difficult one. That's a hard one to take. A lot of the things that Jesus said, we focus on the easy ones, you know, like love your neighbor and, and things like that. But some, well, not that that's that easy, but um, the things that are a little more acceptable. I got that one down. Um, I'm just kidding. But the things that are a little more acceptable, and sometimes these harder ones are a little bit hard to take, and we've got to really think through them. He says, if you're plowing and you look back, you're not fit for service. What happens if you're plowing and you look back? Well, what happens to my body? All of a sudden, right, our rows are going to get all crooked. Um, back then, I was thinking about it. If, if, you're, if you're going along and you start making these crooked rows, um, I guess the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems with that is you're losing, you're losing acreage. You know, if you end up making all these rows where the whole time you're looking back going, yeah, that looks good, 
your rows are going to be all over the place and you're going to lose ground that you could plant in. And back then, you know, they were, uh, it seems like a lot of the families that we read about, there was a lot of poverty and things like that. And I would assume a lot of farmers probably weren't, you know, extremely well off. And um, so, so you're losing some things. And I know um, whenever I was riding in the tractor and plowing, I know how hard it was for me not to look back. You know, I was little. Uh, I'm sitting up there on the, on the arm of the seat. And all I want to do is watch behind because that's where the cool stuff's happening. That's where the destruction's going on. That's where this nice hard ground is just getting torn up and there's stuff flying everywhere and rabbits are darting in and out of the plow and there's birds coming down and getting worms. And that, that was the cool part. That's what I wanted to watch. But if I was driving that tractor, we would have been all over the place and it would have been a mess. And I think this is a, a pretty cool metaphor that I think we can connect with, even though we're not farmers, is that uh, Christ is saying, you know, if, if you're focusing on Christ and you, you have this, this, this life-changing experience with him and you're on this, this journey with Christ, he says, you've got to look straight ahead. You've got to look straight ahead and not be looking back. I know even in my backyard when I'm mowing, if I'm trying to cut between my grass and the neighbor's grass and I don't set my eyes on a point right back there and keep my eyes on it the whole time, I'm going to be in their yard and my yard and it's going to look all sloppy. I don't care that much, but my neighbors might. So I try to fix my eyes on that. And I think, I think it's the same way. Um, uh, looking back is going to make crooked rows. And it's the same way in our, in our spiritual lives, in our, our journey with Christ, that when we turn around and look the other way, we lose track of where we're going. We get off course. I'm going to give you uh, three examples of how, um, how uh, or not three examples of how, but three examples of why we look back. These are three things that happen in our lives in the middle of this journey, after the excitement maybe wears off a little bit, where the newness kind of wears off, that new car smell's gone, and we're just kind of plugging along, we're doing our thing, we're living life, and it's real easy to turn back. We've kind of got a little bit of, um, a little bit of an epidemic in, in Christianity today where so many people are turning and going the other direction, where they're on this journey and they're excited about Christ, and as things start to get rough and some of these things set in, start to divert their attention and get pulled away. And uh, so, so number one, why do we look back? The first thing is because of failures. Our sin changes us. As Christians... It, the Bible doesn't say that we'll stop sinning. The Bible teaches that we still have that sinful nature that we're overcoming. We're not going to get rid of the sinful nature on this side. It's going to take, you know, glorification. It's going to take, uh, take heaven to be able to really get to a point where we, we lose the sinful nature that just kind of goes with us. And sometimes as Christians, sin can become a big part of our lives, unfortunately. Generally, it starts with, you know, a little bit, uh, a little sin that we call it, you know, just a, a little thing that you're like, that's oh, not a big deal. You know, I can, I can just do this, this one sin. And then it becomes, okay, I, I can do this too. And I can do this sin still and do a little bit more. And sometimes for, for some people, it can become overpowering. It can just become what our life is about. Our sin can change us. It can take us from that excited place that place of new life, of newness in Christ, and it can take us and it can, you know, turn us around and get us going the wrong direction. And I'm not above that, and I don't think any of you are above that either. I think when we get to a place where we think, well, I'll never turn back and I'll never have any sin in my life, that's the point where it can probably creep in the most when that kind of pride gets in front of us. Our sin can change us, and, and I think we have to do our best to be able to uh, accept and to live in that forgiveness of Christ. I love Psalm chapter 103, and I love the verse in there that says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I probably have shared that before um, because it's such a, a vivid picture of east and west never come together. 
He doesn't take our sin and set it beside us and throw it back on us and say, hey, you sinned. Don't forget about that. He removes it from us. And then our problem is he removes it and we go looking for it again. And we keep putting it on ourselves and saying, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm such a sinner. I'm not worthy to, to lead a Bible study. I'm not worthy to even share with the person who sits next to me at work about Christianity, about Christ, and about the difference he's made in my life because you know, I'm as sinful as he is. The thing that we have to understand is the mind of Christ, it keeps coming back, but the mind of Christ, he sees us as sinless beings. His blood, Christ's blood on the cross has made us whole, has made us new. And we have to learn to embrace that as Christians. We have to understand where we stand with him. Don't let the sin that's in your life turn you around and have you look in the wrong direction. We have to handle our sin. We have to deal with it. I think that's part of the working out process. We have to get uh, past that sin and change it in our lives, but don't let it pull you back. I've seen so many times people just embrace that sin and turn and go the other direction and have nothing to do with, with the Lord anymore because that sin's too powerful in their life. So we have to catch it early. We have to stop it early. The second reason why we look back is faithlessness. Uh-oh. Hey there, no? Let's try it again. There we go, faithlessness. Another thing that I've seen um, in, in people that I've talked to who had an experience with the Lord, um, you know, I can't judge whether they were Christians or not, but at the point where I met them and where I got to know them, um, they were as, as lost as they could be. One of the reasons is faithlessness. Over time, they, they've, they've had their beginning for what it was. Um, they've been involved in church, which generally a lot of people um, connect with Christianity. Well, I was a Christian because I was teaching Sunday school or I was, you know, helping with youth group or something like that. Um, and then you get this big story. And generally, uh, I think generally the story that I hear is, and these people did me wrong. You know, I was a Christian and I was doing this and doing that and I was involved and this group of church people just stabbed me in the back. They're hypocrites. And they don't even read a Bible anymore. They don't talk to God anymore. They don't even know if he's real anymore. And um, I think this, this can kind of breed faithlessness as we have faith in Christ and we focus and we start this journey with Christ. All of a sudden, these, these doubts start to come. Well, you know, is, is he really real? Did he really die on the cross? You know, and we start looking back. And we say, well, if this, is, if this is what the church looks like and they're treating me this way, is this really what I want? Is this really what Jesus died for? Did he really die and expect this to happen? And those things start to creep in and start to um, kind of chip away at that faith that you have, that belief that you have. And, and something else that I was thinking about is the older that I get and the more years that I have, the more opportunities there are for the world to kind of, shoot those, those darts of, of doubt at me. As I start to, to be in the world more through, you know, just through living and, and the exposure that I experience as I get older, it just causes more of those little darts. And, and we have a couple ways we can handle that. We can entertain them. We can, we can let them grow and fester and we can, you know, kind of start thinking, well, maybe those doubts are valid. And we can just kind of sit back and let them brew and let them brew and let them brew until they take over, kind of like that sin. And before you know it, we're going this way saying, I don't even think that's true anymore. Or we can do what I believe we're called to do as we work out our salvation and we handle them. And if those doubts come, we say, you know what, it's probably normal. Let me see what I can find. Let me start digging. There's some awesome resources out there. 
And while it's not a critical part of salvation to have all your questions answered, that's why we have faith. Faith is believing without seeing. But you know what? My Bible teaches that I can ask those questions. I don't think there's anything that the Bible doesn't, doesn't tell us. There may be some areas that aren't specifically mentioned, but our Bible has a lot of answers for us. And I encourage you, if you have those doubts, work it out. We just did a study in youth group called Confident Christian where we challenged uh, the middle schoolers and high schoolers to ask the hard questions and go find the answers because that's what keeps a lot of people from moving forward and from really working out their salvation. Number three, why we look back is frustration. Life wears us down. Again, I'm not that old, but I've had enough things in my life that sometimes I start to feel worn down. And I only have a fraction of the things that I see in other people's lives. This is a normal thing. This, I'm not talking about these you know, experiences that Christians have that nobody else has. I'm talking about normal, everyday life. As things come and things go and we lose and we gain, it's all a part of this, this journey of humanity. And a lot of times what happens is people take these and they say, you know what? God allowed this to happen to me. That's not right. How many times have you heard the question, why would a loving God let that happen? That is a question of humanity. You know, why does he allow this to happen to me? The example that I was thinking about there, you know, the best example I think in scripture about this is Job. Read the book of Job and see what happened to him. I've had a few people in the, the recent past who have um, you know, shared with me, man, there's so much going on. I had a guy who, um, you know, dad had died and he was still you know, mourning over that. And then his mom died and his kid fell down the stairs and he was in a car accident and all this stuff. And he came to me, he's like, I don't know what's going on. And I said, read the book of Job. You know, check out Job because what happened to Job was everything around him crumbled. He was a, a, an upright guy. Um, he was living for the Lord. There was nothing blameless in him. The Lord just saw him as, as, as blameless. And then Satan came in and the Lord gave him permission. He said, Satan said, you know, I can, I can tear this guy down. He won't, he won't trust you anymore. He'll turn and go the other, other direction. And God said, give it a try. And he let him. And he went in and he, you know, in the same, I think in the same, at the same time they were announcing um, one of the tragedies, another messenger came and announced the other one. It was something like all of his, all of his uh, sons had been killed and then they came in and said, hey, all of your livestock has been slaughtered. You know, he, was, he just had so much wealth and all of it was gone, everything. And, and it, not that it, and that it wasn't enough that everything in his life was lost. Do you remember how his wife responded? In chapter two, right after it happens, his wife didn't come alongside him that we would expect our wives to do and support and say, we'll get through this. God has a plan. No, she came to him and said, curse God and die. Do you remember that? Like his wife, his partner, just curse God and die. He wants you dead. All you have to do is curse him and he'll let you die. You know, and Job stayed strong. It's a crazy, crazy book and it's, it's a little bit, it can be a little bit confusing to understand the dynamics of everything and um, but you know what? He stayed strong. And that's what I encourage you guys with. You know, uh, life is going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. Hard times are going to come. And in the, the Christian, um, well, we're kind of at a place in our culture where we're taught that Christians, uh, a Christian lifestyle equals good things. You know, uh, if you do your part as a Christian, you'll get lots of money. You know, you turn on the TV and it's all over the place. And we're kind of building, you know, trying to, uh, for some reason, build up this Christian community, um, expecting gr these, these miraculous things to happen in their lives and have no troubles and full pockets and really nice cars, when I don't think the Bible teaches that. 
God does care for us. And it says that um, uh, all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Truly believe that. But you know what? Hard times are gonna come and it's how we respond to them that's gonna, that's gonna help us be able to understand you know, this journey that we're on. We have to respond appropriately. So that's the middle of this Christian experience. Sorry. Fortunately, they've done all of them but one, so I'm sure they can figure it out. All right, so let's move on to the end. The end, very important, something that I think as Christians a lot of times we don't think about. In Christ's life, who of course is, you know, the focus of what we do, you know, walking in Jesus' footsteps, all his life he knew where he was going. He knew the direction he was going. He knew the journey that he was on, right? You remember how the disciples had no idea what he was talking about half the time when he was saying, you know, uh, uh, I'm here now and I'm getting ready to go away and, and all the stuff and the disciples were like, all right, yeah, sounds good. And then he died on the cross and they went, what happened? You know, they missed it. But the thing about Jesus is he knew, you know, he was God's son. He knew what his purpose was. He tried to tell the disciples, this is why I've come. You know, he talked about the kingdom. He talked about all these things and it was like it blindsided him. But he always had that, that, that momentum going forward and trying to, to pull people in and say, you know, follow me because this is where I'm going. I'm going to my father. You know, and that was his purpose here on earth. Not just to pull people in, of course, you know, to die on the cross. That was, that was the end for Jesus. And the words that he spoke on the cross, um, I'll, I'll never understand the significance or the impact. Amazing words um, where he says, it is finished. It is finished. The moment where he gave up his life for us. And just like Jesus, just like having a, a mission and a purpose, we have a purpose too. It's obviously not the same. We're not God's son. I'm not God's son in the same way as Jesus. But I think we can, we can use him as an example. And as we read and as we study Christ and his journey, we can see how everything that he did was going towards that. And I think as Christians, the end for us is there. I don't think we think about it a lot, but there is an end to this whole journey with Christ. A lot of times we get, we get kind of comfortable with where we're at and think, you know, my mission, my goal is right here, right now. You know, to be, you know, helping out in church, to be reaching your neighbors, to be doing this, to be doing that. Those are good things. But we have to remember what the end is. My, uh, I think uh, I've shared this before. The things, one of the things that um, I long to hear in my life or after my life, I guess, is the words of, of you know, my Savior when, when I give up my life. You know, whether it's when Christ returns or, or when I die, whatever it is, um, those words I look forward to, I also fear a little bit. You know, what's he going to say? Is he going to say, you had it all wrong? You know, you should have you done this, you should have done that. Boy, I really hope not. You know, my is to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you remember reading that? I think my battery's going out here. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the, the check, oh yeah, we'll do this. Check, check there. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. All right, so All right, those so are the words the that I long to hear. As Christians, I don't think we can hear anything better than, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
I can't even imagine what that would be like to be able to have, you know, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the Savior be able to say, well done, you did good. You know, I think, that, I think that's, that's kind of our goal. That's, that's the end. When we stand before him and are judged, the words that we hear, I know I want them to be well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to please him here. And I don't think that we'll get there just by, let's think how to say this. I don't think that we will get there just by saying, you know what, on July 14th, 1994, I became a Christian. And it, the reason I'm struggling with how to say that is I don't want to minimize salvation in any way. But I want to focus on the working out of salvation and that sanctification. It's, it's the same type of thing as that, that easy chair sanctification mentality. If we just sit back in a chair and say, you know what, here I am and I'm a Christian and life's going on around me and I'm good, I kind of wonder what, what the Lord will say. I know I've had those times in my life and I hope that I, that I don't live my life that way. Um, and you, you may disagree with me on that, but like in my head, I can just hear him saying something like, you know, welcome to my kingdom. I love you. I died for you. Where was the follow-through? You know, I just kind of, I think about that, and it's in the back of my head, and I think, man, I just really want to please him. And I hope that that's our goal as Christians, not to have that safety net, but to want to please him with our lives, to have the mind of Christ, the, the desires that he has, you know, the love that he has. I hope that's our desire. In my life, I've, uh, I've come to a, uh, a conclusion, and it is this, I hope it's uh, important to you as it is to me, it's um, if you don't do something, it's not going to get done. Sounds kind of silly, right? Duh. I've actually said that to my wife before, and she's been, you know, the loving wife that she is, probably said, good job, idiot, right? She probably wouldn't say that. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense. But for me, it was like this profound thing of one day, I'm like, you know what? These things that are just like these, this baggage that I'm not getting done, that I'm not getting accomplished, it's not going to happen unless I just do it. I put it off and I put it off and I put it off. And I think it's the same way with so many things in our lives. Think about it this way. Um, in your marriage, am I up to speed? Yeah, in our marriage, if we get married and kick back in our easy chair and we say, cool, I'm married, good to go, what happens to your marriage? Most likely it's going to crumble. I know mine would. Man, because I do that kind of thing sometimes where I just kind of float through and see things going down. I mean, it takes work. If, if you've never heard that marriage takes work, you must not be hearing because every conference, every speaker, every person says marriage takes work. We have to work out that marriage. We have to put our all into it. Same thing with kids. Is that Brandon? No, because Brandon hits his head on the floor. He doesn't pull his hair. That's right. Um, same thing with parenting. If you have a kid and you kick back and say, all right, good, we had a kid. What a blessing. And then nothing happens. What happens? Your kid turns into a terror, probably. You know, we're called to raise up our children in the way of the Lord. It takes effort. It takes that sweat equity. You have to invest into it. Same way with, with our health. You know, uh, I mean, I know as good as anybody else that if you don't invest into your health, you feel horrible. Your health goes down the drain. If you kick back in your easy chair, literally, and don't do anything, your health goes down the drain. You don't feel good. You can't do anything. And it's the same way, I believe, uh, as we're called to work out our salvation, it's the same way. Our sanctification, our, our process of becoming Christ-like, our process of, of, of pleasing him and growing more like him is the same way. I'm going to give you one more verse this morning. 
Well, it's coming up. I forgot about this. Um, you know that principle, objects at rest stay at rest, unless, is it a force greater to or equal than is applied to it, something like that? I think about that in the same way. A big rock's not going to move unless force is applied to it. Same way as our, as our faith. You know, if we don't apply force and don't put that work into it, it's going to stay right where it is. And I know I don't want to be that way. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 will be the last scripture that we, uh, that we read together this morning. If you want to flip over there, we'll hit Philippians again. All right, Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14 says this. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a cool verse? I forget what is behind. It's hard to do. It's hard to forget what's behind us. It's hard to forget where we came from. But that's what we're called to do and to look ahead at Christ and the journey that's in front of us. Yeah. Have you ever missed a wedding? Um, I'm notorious at this, and it drives me crazy. Like I said, I kind of put things off sometimes. Um, you get the invitation, and you think, man, you know, invitations come out months before a wedding. No big deal. I got lots of time. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, it's been a while. And you look, and you missed the RSVP, right? You always send it in like a month late like me. And then you're like, oh, but it's a long way off. You know, it's in the fall, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and all of a sudden, you look at a calendar and go, oh, no, I missed it. You know, I thought I had time. I thought I could just, you know, do it later, and I kept putting it off, and all of a sudden, there you are. I think that's the same way as, as we put it off, and we say, you know what, I got time for that later. You know, I'll focus on, on that, that, that growing, that, that moving forward, that, um, that Christ-likeness, really focusing and putting the work into that. We'll, we'll do it later on. It can sneak up on us. It can sneak up on us pretty quick. So I leave you guys with two questions this morning. I want to ask you, uh, if you're looking back, what's causing you to look back? You know, it says forgetting the things that are behind. And another place in the Bible talks about the sin that so easily entangles us. You know, think about that. If you're looking back and you're getting tangled up in the sin that's back there, in the things that are pulling you back, in the people in your lives like Job's wife who are saying, just curse God and die, it's not worth it. Those people are all around us. It might be something that you're dealing with specifically. It might, it might be anything. It could be family situations. There's so many things that can entangle us and keep us from focusing and moving forward. So I encourage, I encourage you guys, myself as well, thinking about this. I always want to be you know, speaking to myself at the same time. Um, I pray that we as a church would keep moving forward, that we wouldn't be satisfied with where we're at right now. I think that kind of breeds laziness. I know in my life, I really want to move forward. And I know it's not going to just happen. We remember that, the, that through the Spirit, the Spirit is constantly reminding us of our sin. It's constantly calling into question. You know, it's an awesome gift and telling us where we need to be. It's our job to listen to that and to respond. And that's the goal this morning. I just pray that that would be something that's true in your life, something that would encourage you to keep moving forward. It's not just something for Walt Disney. I think, it's, uh, I think the root comes from the Bible. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Father, I uh, thank you for an opportunity to share this morning, and I pray that, um, that your word would speak.